everyone, how are you all doing? I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we are going to be talking about the case of Ben and Erica. So today's case, oh my god, is a crazy one because we are going to be talking about a killer couple. And we don't cover too many killer couples, even though there are quite a few, because killer couples are scary. The thought of two people coming together like this that are already maybe predispositioned to murder. I'm thinking Fred and Rose West, Ian Brady, Myra Hindley, the Ken and Barbie killers. That is just terrifying that these people can find each other and almost egg each other on and make each other worse. Ben and Erica, they may not be as infamous as the couples that I have just listed, but they are actually sometimes compared to some of the infamous killer couples out there. Ben and Erica are often referred to as the modern day Bonnie and Clyde. Now, they definitely were not as prolific as Bonnie and Clyde, and definitely not as infamous, but the two couples definitely shared a lot of the same traits. And I will say that Ben and Erica definitely had the potential to go on and do a lot worse. So that is what we are going to be getting into today. And one more thing I will say, their relationship is very messy, very toxic, like to the extreme. Today's case is a little bit all over the place. I will warn you there, but you're just going to have to keep up with me on today's episode because there is a lot to unpack and let's dive in. So we have a killer couple today. So we obviously have two backgrounds that we're going to need to talk about. And we're going to be talking about Erica first. So Erica Seyfried, but her name when she was born was Erica Grace, was born on the 3rd of February, 1978, making her an Aquarius. She was born in Roaring Springs in Pennsylvania and her parents were Mitch and Charlotte and she was an only child. Now, Erica had a very very, and I mean very privileged upbringing. She was rich. She was rich, rich. She lived in this huge mansion, and I mean huge. They had multiple fancy cars. Erica got whatever she wanted. She never had to wish for anything because she just got it. Erica also did really good in school. She had really good grades. She was really high achiever. And it's said that because she was an only child, she was really pushed by her parents to succeed especially her dad. Her dad was a bit intense. He kind of put a lot of pressure on her to perform, to always get good grades, to do certain things. And let's just say that the pressure and everything from her dad and from her parents definitely caused her some struggles in life. Now, her parents always wanted her to succeed, which sounds great, doesn't it? And the problem was when Erica ever did succeed, whenever she was really good at something, her dad would almost jump on her and push her to do better, to do more. It was almost like Erica could never really just enjoy something because everything was always a possibility or a possibility in career or you had to do more, you had to get better grades, you had to achieve more. Does that make sense? For example, Erica was a pretty decent basketball player and her dad jumped on this. He basically became her coach. He wanted her to be a professional basketball player. So the current school that Erica was at, she was on the basketball team, but she never really got off the bench that much. She wasn't really playing as much as her dad 
wanted her to. So what did her dad do? Her dad decided, okay, Erica needs to play more basketball because she needs to be a professional basketball player. So we need to move her. We need to get her into a different school. And that is what the family did. They moved to a different town. Erica went to a different school so she could get on the basketball team. But not just that, they moved towns and the family built another mansion. Yeah, they built another mansion. Who can do that? Not many people can do that, can they? The family built this 10 bedroom mansion. The home also had a complete indoor swimming pool and a full size basketball court. And this was so Erica could practice basketball as much as she wanted. And this is the kind of money that I am talking about with this family. Who the hell can just decide, you know what, we need to move. We're going to move to a different town and I'm going to build a 10 bedroom mansion with a full size basketball court. Not many people can do that, can they? So that is the kind of privilege I'm talking about when it comes to Erica's family. But not only that, Erica's dad became the coach of the basketball team at this new school. I wouldn't be surprised if there was some money exchanged there for him to become the coach. Not that I'm accusing anybody of anything, but it kind of just seems like that, doesn't it? So obviously because her dad was the coach, she was now playing a lot. And Erica must have been exhausted because on top of trying to become a professional basketball player, she was still expected to get really good grades. She was still expected to be the perfect child that her parents wanted her to be. And of course, this had a huge negative impact on her because anyone living under those conditions, feeling that kind of pressure on a daily basis by your parents, how are you not going to suffer like anyone would suffer? And this is pretty much what Erica's life was like when she was at school day in, day out. And she eventually did go to college. And this is where things start to really spiral out of control. Because up until this point, Erica had always been the star student. She was always top of the class in most of her classes at high school. However, when she went to college, this was no longer the case. She was no longer top of the class. Erica had always felt like she was special. And I know this is going to sound really bad, but when she went to college, she realized that she was just like everybody else. She was just average. And that sounds horrible to say, doesn't it? But she kind of had like a wake-up call. She entered the real world essentially when she went to college and she was just a little fish in a big sea. And this is when her anxiety really started to kick in. She was a very anxious person. And to be honest, given her upbringing and how much pressure she was under, she probably was suffering with anxiety before she went to college, but it was when she went to college that everything kind of came to a head. She was also a very obsessive person as well. And when she was in college, because she felt average now at college, she felt like she had to work even harder to impress her parents. And the fact that she felt average, it had a huge effect on her confidence. And this had a huge impact on her mental health that I don't really feel like she ever recovered from. I don't think she ever worked through these issues that she's having because we definitely see this anxiety, stress, and compulsive obsessive behavior as we go through the case. And it was when she was in college, when she was at an all-time low, that she met someone called Benjamin Seifert. And to be honest, it was probably because she was at an all-time low that Ben had the effect on her that he did, if that makes sense. Okay, so now we have to look at the background of Ben or Benjamin. He also goes by the name BJ. And to be honest, I'm probably going to be calling him all three because it's very confusing. So yes, Benjamin Seifert, also known as Ben, also known as BJ. And he was born on the 21st of October, 1977, making him a Libra. 
Mm -mm. No, sorry, we don't accept him. Mm -mm. I refuse to accept that he is a fellow Libran. Mm -mm. No. He grew up in the Midwest between the states, Minnesota and Iowa. And it's said that BJ's parents, his mom and dad, absolutely adored him. He was literally the perfect child. At least that's what his parents thought. And like Erica, he was given every opportunity to succeed in life, to pursue his dreams. Now, he wasn't as privileged as Erica. He didn't have Erica's kind of money, but he was still privileged. He still had the ability to basically do whatever he wanted, follow whatever dream he wanted. And he was put under pressure by his parents to succeed in certain ways. But unlike Erica, who couldn't handle the pressure, BJ actually thrived on it. He actually loved pressure. And BJ was one of those kids that never sat still. He always had to be doing something. He was one of those kids that was involved in pretty much every sport at the school, every activity that he could. He took on many part-time jobs at the same time. He just loved being busy. Now, there was one job in particular that he had taken as a part-time job when he was in his teenage years that he particularly enjoyed and thrived at, and that was being a locksmith. Now, I don't know about any of you, but this freaks me out. Now, locksmith, okay, seems pretty harmless. I mean, we all need locksmiths at some point. We all get locked out of our house at least once in our life. I know I have been locked out of my house twice. Is it twice? But when you think about it, locksmiths are terrifying. The fact that they can get through any lock terrifies me. And I've never really thought about it until I did this case. And BJ was an amazing locksmith. Like it would be quite often that his friends would return home and they would find BJ just sat on the sofa, just chilling in their home. And his friends would be like, how the hell did you get in? And BJ was like, ah, I just picked your lock. And BJ definitely uses his locksmith skills in more criminal ways later down the line. Sorry if I've just made any of you really scared of locksmiths. And I'm really sorry if any of you are locksmiths. <laughs> I'm sure you're not terrifying, but BJ, the fact that he is a locksmith, terrifying. So after college, BJ just being the kind of person that wanted an active life, he wanted a career that was going to keep him busy, he just didn't ever want to sit still essentially, he decided that the perfect career for him would be in the military. So he goes to the recruitment of the military. I don't really know how this works, okay? So sorry if I get any of this wrong, but he goes for some recruitment tests and he passes with flying colours. But not only that, when he was taking these tests, the people that were doing the tests, saw so much potential in him that they were like, okay, the military is not going to be for you. We want you to be a part of the Navy SEALs. They think that he has the skills to make it to the Navy SEALs, which, oh my God. So, okay, BJ is a locksmith. He, spoiler, does become a Navy SEAL and he's a killer. I'm sorry. No, he is terrifying. So this is what BJ does. He's so pumped about being a Navy SEAL because Navy SEALs are like the top of the top. Not many people can actually become a Navy SEAL. The program, the recruitment, the tests, everything is just so challenging. And it's not long before he is undergoing the 25-week conditioning program. And apparently a lot of people fail at this initial stage of becoming a Navy SEAL. For example, when BJ was undertaking this program, there was 160 candidates and only 17 actually made it through that program. 
BJ was obviously one of them and he wasn't just one of them, he finished top of the class. But not only that, he was the kind of person that could go out drinking and partying the night before, roll in to the barracks at like 2 a.m., get a few hours sleep, get up at like 5 a.m. and still outperform every other SEAL on that day's activities, which is just crazy that he could operate like that because all of the other Navy SEALs that were in his class. What do you call it? I don't know. All of them were going to bed at like 8pm, getting up at 5am, drinking energy drinks, trying to keep up with BJ who rolled in at 3am. And BJ just likes a challenge. It's almost like he liked the challenge of going partying all night long to see if he could still perform the same the next day. And this is actually a really significant part of BJ's personality. He was an adrenaline junkie, 100%. So bear that in mind that he is an adrenaline junkie because that definitely plays a huge role in today's case. And this is how BJ's military career continued for the next three years. His numbers were amazing. He was always outperforming everybody. He was like the top, top of the top. And then all of a sudden, one day, everything changed and everything would go downhill from this moment on for BJ. And that is because he met Erica. So Ben and Erica first met in the spring of 1999. Obviously, BJ was in the Navy SEALs. Erica was still in college at this point. And at first, BJ wasn't interested in Erica at all, couldn't care less. However, Erica became obsessed. And I mean obsessed with BJ. She could not stop thinking about it. Every single waking moment she was thinking about BJ, but obviously he was in the Navy SEALs. He wasn't exactly easy to contact. And then a few months later in July, the two of them actually ran into each other at a Navy SEAL party. Side note, I don't think it was a coincidence that Erica was there. I reckon every time she heard a rumor that Navy SEALs were at this bar or this party or this event, I reckon Erica showed up because I do not think it's a coincidence that Erica just happens to be at this Navy SEAL party. So anyway, they run into each other at this Navy SEAL party and BJ, for whatever reason, he is now suddenly interested in Erica. And they jump into a relationship and a very serious committed relationship very quickly. They were seeing each other all the time. They were partying. Everything in their relationship was extreme, which is exactly what BJ's personality is like, isn't it? And within three weeks of them beginning to date, they ran off and eloped in Vegas. I know, after only three weeks, they're married. Now that is the definition of a whirlwind romance. Now after they get married, they do start living together. Erica really wants this almost domesticated life, but for BJ, this was not what he signed up for. He does not want to be tied down. He wants to live life to the extreme. He wants every day to be different. And we've already spoken a little bit about Erica's mental health. Well, it was around this point in her life. I don't know the exact date. I just know it was around this point in the story. But I do know that Erica was diagnosed with an obsessive compulsive disorder. Erica would struggle with a lot of things. For example, she would struggle if things were not in the right place at home. That would cause her great anxiety. And she would have this kind of habit or routine whenever she would leave the house where she would check that the upper door was locked nine times and she would check that the lower door was locked 12 times and she had to do this before she ever left the house. And this is just one example. There were many 
other examples, but this was just one of them. And obviously she can't help this. She has been diagnosed with this and BJ, being BJ, didn't understand her problems. He actually antagonized her and made things worse. So when Erica would leave the house and she would arrive at her destination, where she was going, BJ would phone her up and say, oh, are you sure that you've locked the door? I have a real big feeling that you didn't lock the door. Maybe you should go home and check. He would also say things like, oh, I think you've left the oven on, or I think you've left this on. And obviously this was a trigger for Erica. She couldn't handle this and she would have to go running back home to check that the house was locked, that the oven wasn't turned on. But it wasn't just anxiety and OCD that Erica was struggling with. She was also struggling with the fact that she was obsessed with BJ. Like I said, she has a very obsessive personality. She gets very, very attached to things and people people, especially people. Like if BJ was ever late, and I mean even by 10 minutes, she would start screaming and shouting when she didn't know where he was. She would start throwing things around their home. When he would get home, she would scream and shout at him and throw things at him. And BJ just really resented Erica. He just felt like she was holding him back. And this is basically what their relationship was after those three weeks, because those first three weeks before they were married, their relationship according to them, was great. So now we get to October of 1999. They have been married for three months at this point. And Erica realizes that the sex life between the couple is not great anymore. In the beginning, their sex life couldn't have been better. And Erica was really hurt by this. She would approach BJ and say like, what's going on? Like, why don't you want to have sex with me? What is going on? Like, is there anything else underlying that is going on? And apparently, according to Erica, BJ responded, quote, sex is not what excites me. It's not what gets me off. If you want me to have sex with you, then fine. I'll take the time out of my day if that's what I have to do to make you happy. I know that is what BJ said. <laughs> it's like, okay, no one would want to hear that. And you can understand why Erica would be hurt by that. But the thing is, this wasn't even true because it turns out that sex did excite BJ, but it just didn't excite him to have sex with Erica anymore because he'd been there. He'd done that. That wasn't a threat anymore. And he was having a full blown affair with a woman in Arkansas. And he was getting a kick out of going behind Erica's back. He was getting a thrill out of that. And BJ and this woman in Arkansas were emailing back and forth, sending very explicit emails to one another. And then one day, I kind of feel like BJ wanted to be caught. I don't know because why else would he do this? But one day he left his laptop open with his emails open and Erica, she went and looked in his emails. And obviously she saw all of the sexually explicit emails that BJ was sending this woman. So what does Erica do? She calls up the other woman. Erica said, hey, are you sleeping with my husband? And the woman just went, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's me. And because of this, Erica fell into a very deep depression. Like she couldn't even get out of bed. She couldn't shower. She couldn't brush her teeth. Like it was that bad. And BJ was furious. He was angry, not at himself, for having an affair. Oh no, why would BJ be angry at himself? First of all, he was furious with Erica for being depressed. And then two, he was also furious with the other woman for confirming the affair. In fact, BJ got so angry with the other woman that he sent her a threatening email that said, quote, hey bitch, mm -hmm. he actually started the email like that. 
hey, bitch, you better tell my wife I never fucked you because if you don't, I'll drive down to Arkansas, amputate your bastard kids with a butcher knife, board up the windows and doors, and then burn your house down. He then signed the email, quote, your worst enemy, BJ. And it's just like, wow. Oh my God. I mean, that email from anyone would be terrifying, but just put yourself in that other woman's shoes. BJ is a Navy SEAL. He is essentially a trained killer. He's also a locksmith. Don't forget that. He can get through any door and he is threatening to essentially kill you and your kids. I am sorry. No, that is absolutely terrifying. So after that absolutely terrifying email, the affair that BJ was having eventually broke down. I mean, of course it did. And Erica decided to forgive BJ and their relationship carried on as normal after this. But there was another bump in the road for the couple. And that was the fact that BJ was a Navy SEAL. So Erica, like I've said multiple times, is very attached to BJ and she would really struggle whenever BJ wasn't in the house. Now, obviously BJ being a Navy SEAL meant that he was away quite a lot. She would just always beg BJ to let her go with him wherever he went, which obviously that is not allowed. So BJ was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. But in the end, Erica actually wore BJ down and BJ snuck Erica onto the military base that he was staying on. So there was one assignment where BJ was stationed in Alaska on some kind of training thing. I don't know. And Erica actually flew to Alaska and somehow BJ managed to sneak Erica onto the base, which meant that she went past security, lots of security checks. And BJ actually managed to sneak Erica all the way to his room. But of course they are on a Navy SEAL base. The fact that someone is on the base that shouldn't be on the base is not exactly going to go undetected for long because in the end, the two of them did get caught in BJ's room. But not only that, the two of them were also found in BJ's room with stolen morphine and the two of them are actually doing drugs, which is another thing that you are not allowed to do on a military base. So they were breaking rules left, right and center. So following this incident, because his reputation had taken a bit of a hit, he spent the next few months rebuilding his reputation, really working hard. Again, he goes back to being the best Navy SEAL that he can, which in BJ's case is actually one of the best Navy SEALs on that base. But Erica was still not happy because she was really unhappy that BJ was always gone. He was always away because he was a Navy SEAL. And because Erica was not allowed to go with him, and I suspect that BJ was probably under closer observation after that little incident that he snuck Erica onto base. So because Erica wasn't allowed to go with him, she didn't want BJ going at all. And this is when Erica started to say to BJ, I want you out of the Navy SEALs. And BJ was just like, okay, but it's not that easy. It takes months to get an honorary discharge. You can't just leave the Navy SEALs. There is lots of things. There's lots of hoops that you have to jump through to actually leave. But Erica was not prepared to wait months for him to get an honorary discharge. So the two of them came up with a plan to get BJ kicked out of the Navy SEALs. Now, this is surprising to me, it really is. And I feel like this is a perfect example of why Erica is not innocent in this case at all, because I know the way I've been talking throughout this case so far, it kind of does sound like Erica can be classed as a little bit of a victim. There might be a little bit of a power imbalance, a little bit of abuse. I feel like both of them are just controlled by the other one because BJ loves being a part of the Navy SEALs. He loves 
loves the challenge. He loves that every day is different. He loves pushing himself mentally and physically every single day. And he loves adrenaline. He loves being a part of the Navy SEALs. So it is very surprising that he agreed to get a dishonorable discharge because Erica wants him to. So I feel like this is a perfect example of how both of them actually have a hold over each other. Both of them control each other. Both of them are toxic for one another. So BJ agreed to do whatever he could to get kicked out of the Navy SEALs. But even this itself, BJ decided to have a little bit of fun with this because like I've said, he's an adrenaline junkie. He's always looking to push himself, to challenge himself. And he saw this as a way to experiment with what he could do, how he could push the boundaries and the limits. So on one day in August of 2000, he got in his car. He was about to leave base because he wanted a haircut. And he thought to himself, hmm, I think I'm going to have a little bit of fun here. So he was driving out of the base. He was coming up to the security checkpoint where you're supposed to slow down and go through the normal procedure. But BJ decided that he wasn't going to slow down. He wasn't going to slow down for the checkpoint. And instead, he actually put his foot down on the pedal and he started racing towards the barrier at 50 miles an hour. And the guards that were standing at the checkpoint literally had to jump out of the way to avoid being hit by BJ. And if they were hit by BJ at 50 miles an hour, it's quite possible that he would have killed these guards. And the whole time BJ was just laughing. People actually saw him in the car laughing as he was doing this. BJ then went to get his hair cut. And when he was on his way back, he did the exact same thing. He did not stop at the checkpoint and he actually just raced through it again, endangering people's lives. Unsurprisingly, after this incident, BJ was thrown into military jail. And again, I cannot believe I'm saying this, he wasn't discharged from the Navy SEALs. Somehow he was given another chance. And then 12 days later, he was clearly out of military jail at this point because he was just walking around the base. And BJ was just walking around, doing whatever he wanted. He was actually speaking to Erica on the phone and a superior officer saw him and confronted BJ about this because what he was doing was a complete violation. And BJ just started saying, fuck you, fuck you at this superior officer, which again, something that you should not do. And then after he just walked back to his barracks, packed up his things and walked off base. Again, another violation. And he went home to Erica. And leaving the base without explicit permission from a superior officer is directly against the law when you're on the base. And following this incident, BJ was finally kicked out of the Navy SEALs. He was given a dishonorable discharge and Erica got what she wanted. Now, I've just said that Erica got what she wanted and I don't know if BJ got what he wanted. Like I said, I don't think he wanted to leave the Navy SEALs. I think he definitely had fun trying to get kicked out of the Navy SEALs because he likes a challenge and he likes to push the limits. But I don't actually think this was what he wanted. I don't think he actually wanted to leave the Navy SEALs. Okay, so now we get to late 2000s and BJ, no no longer has a job. So Erica and BJ are just like, okay, what the hell are we supposed to do now? Because at this point, Erica was also unemployed. And the fact that both of them have too much time on their hands is when things start to really 
spiral out of control, which they are already, but now it really goes downhill. First of all, Erica has an idea on what they could do as their job and how to pass the time. And that is that Erica wants to open up a scrapbooking store. Now, this is something that Erica was actually obsessed with. She was obsessed with scrapbooking everything in her life. She scrapbooked her whole relationship with BJ. It was in a scrapbook. And I feel like this is just really Erica's personality. And I mean, I'm not talking about the scrapbooking, but Erica really gets obsessed with things. Like when she likes something, it's not just like a like, it's an obsessed. So Erica was obsessed with collecting things. And there was one thing in particular that was definitely a little bit of a strange obsession. And that is that she was obsessed with collecting Hooters merch. Listen, I'm not going to judge anyone for collecting anything. I mean, I definitely have a little bit of a collector's personality. I like to collect things as well. So I'm never going to judge anybody for collecting things. But Hooters seems a bit of a weird one, do you not think? She would literally try to get her hands on anything that had the Hooters logo on. She actually had over 200 items in her collection. And you should definitely remember this Hooters collecting obsession because it does come back up. So with Erica being obsessed with collecting things, she was also obsessed with collecting stationery and stuff like that. And the fact that she was also obsessed with scrapbooking, opening a scrapbooking store seemed like the perfect thing to her. And then you might be thinking, hang on a minute, Erica is unemployed. BJ is also unemployed. Where the hell are they getting this money from to open up this scrapbooking store? Well, daddy was going to pay for it, of course. In case you've forgotten, Erica has very rich parents and daddy paid for the whole thing. And Erica is literally living her dream life right now. Daddy's paid for her new business and she now has her husband, BJ, living with her and working with her 24-7. So Erica was happy but was BJ? And the answer to that would be no. BJ was the kind of person that couldn't sit still. So the idea of sitting in a scrapbooking store day in, day out, serving customers, doing the same thing every single day was his idea of hell. So in order to fight his boredom, he was seeking out more extreme thrills. And these thrills were getting more and more extreme as time went on. And BJ's behavior is already like off the rails, but it goes into overdrive right now. So first of all, it started with partying and partying to the extreme of course, because everything in this case is extreme. And Erica was also involved. She would also go out partying and they would be partying seven days a week. They would be drinking a lot. They would be taking drugs. They would be going wild. It does seem like Ben and Erica can't spend any normal time together. You know, they can't just sit on the sofa and watch a film. Oh no, they have to be doing something either illegal or or extreme. Next, BJ got really into drugs. Now, he did take drugs quite a lot before this, but this is when his drug taking really did go extreme, and he was experimenting with harder drugs all the time as well. Erica was also taking a lot of drugs, and Erica actually did become addicted to the medication she was taking for her anxiety. But of course, the effects of partying and drinking a lot soon wore off. It soon lost its appeal, and BJ had to go to the next level to get his high. So the next thing that he started started doing was getting into high-speed car chases with the police. This literally became a hobby for him to get into car chases with the police. It's like, how does this become a hobby for someone? This right here tells you the privilege that he has. So BJ loved going out really late at night, just cruising around, trying to find a police patrol vehicle. He would then pull up next to the police car, really rev his engine and then speed off. And of course, the police are gonna chase him, aren't they? And BJ was loving this so much, he decided to buy himself a new car. 
a race car and the car was a bright orange hot rod muscle car with black stripes down the side. It was like something out of Fast and Furious. He probably did think that he was in Fast and Furious and coincidentally, the first Fast and Furious film was released around the time that BJ was doing this. So I really do think that he was influenced by Fast and Furious in this. And of course, every single time he was in a car chase with the police, he would try to escalate them to make them more exciting each time. There was one time where he was being chased by police and he swerved his car and started driving on the opposite side of the road, which meant that he was going straight into oncoming traffic. And somehow he managed to do all of this without crashing. And as far as I'm aware, no one else crashed either, thank God. Now, as far as I'm aware, I don't think BJ ever got caught with these high-speed police chases. I couldn't find anywhere if he got caught anyway. I don't think he faced any jail time. I couldn't find it. So I'm gonna assume he always got away with these car chases, which is just crazy. But this just seems to be BJ, doesn't it? He just seems to get away with everything. So the thrill seeking continues, but like everything else in BJ's life, eventually the car chases got boring. So he needed to find something else. And this is when we get to the robberies. And it's when the robberies come in that the comparison to Bonnie and Clyde start coming in. And I do just wanna stress that even though we are concentrating on BJ at this point in the story, Erica was right beside him in all of this. She was enabling him. She was loving it. She actually became just as much of a thrill seeker as BJ did. So the two of them start going out and just choosing random stores to rob. Remember that BJ is a locksmith. There is not a lock in the world that he can't get through. So breaking into stores is actually pretty easy for him. He's also a Navy SEAL. Now I'm not saying that Navy SEALs are trained in committing crime, but they are definitely going to be better than the average person at breaking in somewhere and stealing things and also being able to get out and not be caught. A lot of the times they did rob Hooters. Of course they did because Erica wanted her merch. She wanted to build her collection, but they did also rob other stores as well. They were robbing any store that you can think of. They were stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of items from these stores every single week. And they were making up to $2,000 a week by selling the stolen goods on eBay. And BJ was in his element when he was doing this because he loved being a locksmith. And this was obviously putting his skills to the test. I feel like I'm a broken record at this point. He is an adrenaline junkie. And every single night they would rob a different store. They would do it in a slightly different way. This was exciting to him. He loved the thrill of breaking and entering and stealing goods, but getting away with it. That was probably the biggest thrill for him. And this next part is truly disturbing. So I'm really sorry in advance, but he got that much of a kick out of robbing these stores that quite often after the robbery, he would have an erection. And then he would also sometimes masturbate after robbing the stores. It's like, seriously, that's disgusting. So the robberies were a big thrill to BJ, but BJ was always looking for the next thing to get his juices flowing, essentially. So the next thing that BJ wants to do is get some exotic pets. The couple first bought a crocodile that they called Alabama, and then they bought four large snakes. The first two, they named Bonnie and Clyde. Of course they did. And then the second two snakes, they named HIV and Hitler. I know. And apparently they decided on these names because Hitler was BJ's idol. Seriously, what the actual hell? It's like BJ, can he get any worse? Oh, well he can because BJ was also openly racist and he also had a swastika tattooed on his chest. 
He really is the worst, isn't he? But the effect of having these exotic pets soon wore off and BJ was looking for the next thing to get his thrill. And the next thing that he decided he wanted to do was become a father. So one day BJ just walks up to Erica and he's like, I want some kids. And Erica is really taken aback by this because she was always under the impression that BJ didn't want children. So Erica falls pregnant and everything is going great. She's about three to four months pregnant and she is so happy. This is everything that she's ever wanted. But then when she is about three to four months pregnant, I don't know the exact timeline. BJ just walks up to her and says to her, I don't want kids. And Erica is just like, uh, a bit late, I'm already pregnant. And then BJ lost his temper. He got really, really aggressive. He started to say things like, you thought I wanted to be a dad, you stupid whore. And Erica is just really confused at this point because this was BJ's idea. He wanted to be a dad. This was his idea for her to get pregnant. Erica bursts into tears. She doesn't know what to do because she wants the child. And I honestly cannot believe what I'm about to say, I definitely need to give a trigger warning here for abortions. So yeah, I can't believe he actually said this. He said, quote, either you go to the clinic in the morning or I'm going to dig it out of you with a coat hanger here and now. I just really don't have any words for this man. He really is the worst and he's just getting worse and worse as we go through this case. And the following morning, BJ drove Erica to the clinic and she had an abortion. And then when she had the abortion, BJ turned to her and said, well done, you've passed the test. And Erica was like, what? What do you mean a test? And BJ just said, yes, it was all a test. I wanted to see if you would go through with it. I wanted you to prove your loyalty to me. I am sorry, but that is one of the sickest things I think I've ever heard. This was BJ's plan all along. He wanted to see how much control he had over Erica. So from the moment he said to Erica, I want kids, he was always planning on making her have an abortion. But I do wanna stress that this story has come from Erica. So I just need to clarify that we don't actually know if this happened. This is just according to Erica, who is from time to time prone to lying. Of course she is. So we now get to 2002. This is approximately two and a half years since Ben and Erica first got married. And after Erica had proven her loyalty to BJ, things for the couple go back to normal. But what is normal for this couple? So the normal for them is that they are partying a lot, pretty much seven days a week. They're drinking a lot, taking drugs, still committing robberies. But BJ, as time was going on, he was finding it harder and harder to get the same kind of excitement about the things that he used to get excited about. But now, unfortunately, BJ felt like he only had one more place to turn, and that was violence. And now we start to unfortunately get to the deadly consequences of today's case. So something that we haven't mentioned so far, but BJ loved guns. He was obsessed with guns. He had a huge, huge personal collection. And one of the ways that he would get his kicks is that he would get Erica to drive him around town. He would have one of his guns. He would literally be hanging out of the window of the car and shooting 
road signs, stop signs and everything. And he would do this out in the open. Pedestrians were walking around and everything, but he just didn't care. Oh my God, how terrifying would that be? But this again is something that BJ just seemed to get away with. But his violent behavior was escalating rapidly because it wasn't long until BJ had murder on the mind. So this all started when BJ bought some cocaine from a drug dealer. But the thing is, BJ hadn't actually bought cocaine. He'd actually bought bleach powder. So when BJ went to snort the coke, it was obviously bleach, burned all of his nose and everything, and BJ was furious, and he planned to get his own back on the drug dealer. He wanted to kill the drug dealer. So he drove to his local hardware store, and he bought five gallons of acid. He was planning to kill the drug dealer in some kind of way and then dissolve his body in acid. He even tested out the plan. He had his bucket of acid and he got a rat and put the rat in acid. And of course, the rat completely disappeared and BJ was rubbing his hands together thinking, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to kill the drug dealer. But for some reason, reason that we don't actually know, BJ changed his mind and decided not to kill the drug dealer. But were BJ's murderous thoughts over? Oh no, far from it. Because after this, he bought himself a book titled The Anarchist's Cookbook. Let's just say this book in the hands of the wrong people is probably not the best book. It has chapters on bomb making, building and making your own weapons like homemade grenades. And then BJ even wrote himself a manual that contained 130 ways to torture someone. He literally cannot get murder off the mind. That is all he is thinking about. And I feel like I just need to pause again and address the fact that we're not really talking about Erica again, because obviously this is all BJ right now. But Erica is right beside him. She is aware of these plans. She's actually encouraging him. She's enabling him. Erica was happy to go along with the plans of murdering the drug dealer. She was there for dissolving the rat. So even though I'm not really mentioning Erica, she is there the whole time right by his side. And then all of a sudden, BJ says to Erica, I need a vacation. But this was no ordinary vacation because BJ has some pretty sinister plans in mind. So on Memorial Day weekend in 2002, Ben and Erica head off on their vacation. They actually end up in Ocean City in Maryland. And on their first night, they go out partying, which is just their usual routine right now. It doesn't really matter if they're on vacation or not. And on their first night, they go out partying and they end up at a club called Secrets. And in this club, they meet another couple, a couple called Joshua Ford and Jeannie Crutchley. Joshua and Jeannie were a couple from Fairfax, Virginia. Joshua was 32 years old and worked as a mortgage broker. And Jeannie was 51 years old and she worked as an insurance executive. The couple had met three years prior to this at a Christmas party and they immediately hit it off. The two of them were in a very happy, loving relationship and they were now currently on vacation, which is where they had the unfortunate experience of meeting Ben and Erica. So the couples are partying at Secret's nightclub and they hit it off. They're like really getting on, partying the night away. And Ben and Erica say to Joshua and Jeannie, why don't you come back to our condo after the bar closes and we can carry on the party there? Now, Joshua and Jeannie think, yeah, why not? I mean, they've been getting on, they've been having a really good night and they agree to go back to Ben and Erica's condo. So the four of them go back to the condo. At first, everything is great. The party is continuing. 
they all get into the hot tub and then all of a sudden Erica jumps out of the hot tub and says, where is my purse? And Ben, almost like he was waiting for his wife to say these words, immediately grabs his gun and starts pointing it at Joshua and Jeannie and says, which one of you stole my wife's purse? And Joshua and Jeannie are absolutely terrified. One minute they're having fun, they're partying, and the next minute this man is waving a gun in their face, accusing them of stealing, which of course neither one of them did. But Erica would not let it drop. She kept screaming at them, which one of you has stolen my purse? Which one of you has stolen my purse? Erica even dialed 911 to report that this couple were in her condo and one of them had stolen her purse. Worcester 911, an emergency? Yes, I have an emergency at my apartment. Um, there are people in my house who I don't know and my purse is suddenly missing and I'm afraid I'm going to have a robbery here. I don't even know why Erica made that 911 call. It's just like, you know that this story is complete BS. It's just absolutely bizarre. Josh and Jeannie are absolutely terrified, but they make a run for it. They manage to get themselves to the bathroom and they lock the door. But sadly, this would not be enough to save them. The couple were cowering in the bathroom and pleading for their lives. But a shot was fired through the bathroom door, which hit Joshua. It hit him in the head and he died instantly. Jeannie was now trapped in the bathroom. She is literally next to her partner who has just been murdered. She is now even more terrified. She's devastated. She just doesn't know what the hell is going on. How did this night end like this? But Ben and Erica broke down the bathroom door and they both started repeatedly stabbing Jeannie. And very sadly, she also lost her life from these injuries. And it's just heartbreaking to think about Joshua and Jeannie. They are this loving, happy couple. They're on vacation. They have innocently made friends with this other couple at the club. They're having fun. And now they have both been murdered. So after the incredibly cold and brutal murders, Ben and Erica go about cleaning up the crime scene. And I've got to warn you, this next bit of the case reaches a whole nother level of depravity that you just will not be expecting. It's like, what the actual hell? So first of all, BJ decides that he's going to dismember the bodies. That is how he's going to get rid of them. He orders Erica to go to a 24-hour cleaning supply store, something like that, to get cleaning supplies and trash bags and all stuff like that. And when Erica returns from the store with the supplies, she walks into the condo and Ben is completely naked. He is stood there holding two decapitated heads and he has an erection. He then tells Erica, please take a photo of me. Take a photo of me. I want to send this to my Navy SEAL buddies. After the photo is taken, BJ then places the heads down. He walks to the hot tub and the bodies, the two decapitated bodies are next to the hot tub. BJ then enters the hot tub and commits necrophilia with the decapitated body of Jeannie. And Erica is stood there watching the whole thing. And just when you think that it can't get any worse, BJ starts to dismember the bodies, which he is very skilled at, by the way. He cuts off one of the legs. We don't know whose leg he cut off. And he holds this leg up to Erica and he says, can we have this for dinner? If I cut the meat off, will you cook it for me? And I just can't believe it. Like, I just feel like we need to pause for a second there because what the actual hell, where the hell is this case just gone? It's just too much. It's just too much. We've gone from BJ escalating, losing control. He has now murdered two people. He then commits necrophilia 
and now there is possible cannibalism. Now, we don't actually know if the couple did eat any of the meat. We don't know. Like, I honestly don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. So after they have dismembered the bodies, they dump the body parts in local dumpsters, various dumpsters, and then they go out partying like nothing has happened. The very next day, BJ and Erica are just out and about in town. They're having photos. They're acting like tourists. Remember I said Erica liked to collect things. She was a little bit of a collector. Well, one of the things that she liked to collect was jewelry. Now, in one of the photos that the couple took the next day, the day after the murder, Erica can be seen wearing a necklace. And on that necklace is a ring. And that ring belonged to Joshua. That's right. So Erica is just as complicit in all of this. She is wearing the ring that belongs to Joshua, which is essentially like a trophy. She's wearing it proudly. I've also said that Erica likes to scrapbook. Well, guess what she put in her scrapbook? a murder entry. She fills the scrapbook with souvenirs from the crime scene to cherish those memories that she made with BJ. Now, Josh and Jeannie have been reported missing at this point and posters have been put up in the local area. Have you seen this couple, etc.? And Ben and Erica see these posters, but do they care? No. Because what do they decide to do? Ben and Erica decide that they enjoyed what they did the night before so much that they want to do it again. So Ben and Erica look for more victims. And this is again, when they start to become very similar to Bonnie and Clyde. So on the 24th of May, which was four days after the murder, Ben and Erica meet a couple, Melissa and Justin. And literally the same things happen again. They meet this couple, the two couples hit it off. They're having a good time. Ben and Erica invite Melissa and Justin back to the condo to carry on the party. They're back at the condo. They're having drinks. They're having fun. All of a sudden, Erica bursts out screaming, where is my purse? Where is my purse? BJ grabs his gun, starts waving it around. Which one of you has stolen my wife's purse, etc.? It's literally the exact same thing is happening. BJ is literally on the verge of murdering this couple when he gets distracted. We actually don't know what distracts him, but he gets distracted. He seems to change his mind and all of a sudden he takes Erica to the bedroom and Erica and BJ have sex whilst Melissa and Justin are still there in the condo. And whilst BJ and Erica are having sex, Melissa and Justin see this as their opportunity to escape, which they do, thank God. And you can really see that BJ and Erica, they're just out of control. It's almost like they're in a different world. They just are completely losing it. They are willing to just murder people that they literally find on the street. They are escalating. There is pretty much no cool down period between the murders because there was only four days between those two incidences. But everything was about to come crashing down for BJ and Erica. And what would be the cause of their downfall? Hooters. So BJ and Erica are still going around robbing stores, etc. And we all know that Erica is obsessed with Hooters and likes to collect as much merchandise as she possibly could. And Erica really wanted some Ocean City merchandise, which was obviously the place that they were. The couple break into Hooters in the middle of the night, but what they didn't know is that the Hooters that they had broken into had a silent alarm. So BJ and Erica are just there robbing Hooters, but the police are already on their way. The police arrive 
five and they literally catch BJ and Erica red-handed. They arrest them both on burglary charges. Now, as they are being arrested, Erica gets really anxious. I think she's having some sort of anxiety panic attack. And she says to the officers, I need my Xanax out of my purse. And as the officer goes to her purse to get her Xanax, out rolls five spent rounds of ammunition and also two ID cards belonging to the missing couple, Joshua and Jeannie. And this was the moment where everything came crashing down because the police saw the two ID cards and was like, okay, this couple clearly have something to do with the other missing couple. The police searched the condo where Ben and Erica were staying and there's blood everywhere. There's evidence everywhere of the murder. Even though they had tried to clean up the crime scene, it's impossible to clean up everything, isn't it? And finally, the partial remains of Joshua and Jeannie were found in landfills, which meant that Benjamin and Erica Seyfried were charged with first degree murder. During questioning, BJ kept his mouth shut. He did not say a single word. And I feel like that is where his Navy SEAL training possibly came in. He's not exactly intimidated very easily. He's probably trained in interrogation and stuff like that. But Erica was not, and Erica spilled her guts. She told the police, everything. Erica told the police about the very toxic relationship between her and BJ, everything that they had done, what BJ was like with his erratic, escalating, adrenaline junkie behavior. Erica told the police that it was BJ that fired the gun that killed Joshua, but Erica did confess that she was the one that stabbed and slit the throat of Jeannie. So the case went to trial and they had separate trials and BJ's trial is first. Now he's charged with first degree murder of both Joshua and Jeannie. Now, when it came to Jeannie, they had only retrieved partial remains of her body. So they couldn't actually determine how she had died. So this meant that they couldn't prove that BJ had committed first degree murder, which meant that he was found guilty of second degree murder of Jeannie Crutchley. Now, when it came to Joshua, they knew that he had died from a single gunshot wound, but BJ's defense was that it wasn't him that fired the gun. It was actually Erica. BJ completely turned on Erica and blamed her for everything. And because the prosecution couldn't determine who had actually fired the gun, BJ was acquitted of the first degree murder of Joshua. And he was only sentenced to 38 years for the second degree murder of Jeannie, which is crazy. He was only given 38 years, but this also meant that he was eligible for parole in 2021 one, which was last year. And thank God he didn't get it. It was actually denied. So then it was Erica's trial. And again, a very similar situation because they couldn't prove exactly how Jeannie had died. She was found guilty of second degree murder instead of first degree murder. However, when it came to the murder of Joshua, Erica was actually found guilty of first degree murder. And for this, Erica was handed a full life sentence plus 20 years. And I just think it's crazy. Now listen, I'm not defending Erica, okay? She got exactly what she deserved, but Ben also deserved the same sentence. They are both equally guilty. They both murdered Joshua and Jeannie. I just don't understand how Erica got first degree murder for Joshua, but BJ got completely acquitted for the murder. It just doesn't make sense because they couldn't prove who actually fired the gun 
So how is it that the first degree murder charge has actually landed on Erica? Like, it doesn't make sense, does it? They both should be found guilty of the murder of Joshua because they were both involved. They are both guilty. But thank God BJ is actually still in prison. Like, he wasn't granted parole. And I just really hope that he stays there because he is guilty for Joshua's murder. And it's just so annoying that he got acquitted for it. So that was the case of Ben and Erica cipher it. And I told you it was a crazy one. Like, what the actual hell, I still cannot go over that Ben was acquitted for the murder of Joshua. It's just crazy to me because they are both equally guilty. And when I was researching this case, I kept reading, if these two people had never met, they would never have committed murder. Now, I disagree with that. I really do. A lot of sources that I was coming across was blaming their toxic relationship for them turning into killers. And I definitely think that this is true for Erica. She was infatuated with BJ. She was absolutely obsessed with him and she was willing to murder for him. And I think without BJ, I don't think Erica would have become a killer. However, BJ, he is an adrenaline junkie. He is a loose cannon that is going off the rails and he would have been like that regardless of Erica. I think they are both equally responsible. I feel like they were both toxic. They both enabled one another. They both encouraged one another and they both brought out the worst in each other. It's as simple as that. But the real tragedy here is the two innocent victims, Joshua and Jeannie. Jeannie Crutchley was described by those who knew her as calm and loving. She loved spending time with her partner, Joshua, whether it was in their garden at home or taking walks through the park. They were incredibly happy together and she was adored by everyone around her and she was only 51 years old. Joshua Ford was described as a caring and loving person. He loved spending time with Jeannie, who he loved dearly, but most of all, he loved spending time with his six-year-old son from a previous relationship, who Joshua has described as his whole world. Joshua was taken far too soon from his young son, and he was only 32 years old. And again, it just really breaks my heart when I hear that there is a child involved, you know, because they are another victim in this case. And that is the end of today's case. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And it just really frustrates me. It does. Ben and Erica were so privileged, you know, they had everything given to them on a silver platter. They could have made so much with their lives with the opportunities that they had. And they chose to murder people. It's like, what the hell? Like, seriously. So that brings us to the end of this episode, which was a very crazy one. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And if you enjoy the show, it would really mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios, and I'll see you all in the next one. Come